Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually Church Podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I'm Taylor Mason, and I'm hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. For this second season, we've been trying to think more specifically about what church should look like in the light of our discoveries in season one, about what technology both enables and disables. Uh, We've also been looking more concretely at how technology is being used in different areas in the church during COVID, and this is going to be our last episode of the season. So we're very excited, and we're going to explore this kind of catchy title, Are They Coming Back? Now, one of the biggest concerns I've heard from people in the church during this pandemic, or, you know, from journal articles and so forth, is that question. Are young people coming back to church? Now, if I'm going to be honest, this really isn't that new of a question. Uh, And it's not related just to the pandemic. In fact, Matt, our senior pastor here at the church, mentioned in a sermon uh, a few weeks ago that this crisis, and I put them in air quotes, is something that he, Pastor Matt, has heard about since he started working churches. uh, And I think he's been doing it for like 20 years now. So it's... So we don't want to say that it's a question that's directly a result of the pandemic, but we do want to say that the pandemic has presented new, quote, solutions to this kind of older question or concern or anxiety uh, from church members and ministers. Uh, So maybe young people would come back if dot, 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 I don't know, if we had a bigger online presence, if we were more active on social media, if we live stream our services so people can watch worship while at a soccer game or at some other time, if people could travel on vacation and still go to Sunday school at the same time, if the sermon could be wrapped up in a TikTok video, then we could reach young people and this crisis could be solved. But the idea is that if we do these things, then we'll engage more young people and they'll come back to church, therefore saving the church from its slow decline in attendance and giving, and we're all good. And we all say, amen. Now, I think this existential crisis of the church's life makes it seem more urgent to embrace what many people say are creative and innovative ways to reach and bring young people into the church. Um, There's an article by Reverend Rob Dyer that's been passed around. I know it got sent to me over email. Um, He's the senior pastor of First United Presbyterian Church in Belleville, Illinois. Um, You can find it on Ministry Architects, uh, which is a blog and resource site, where he tries to answer this exact question, are young people coming back? And he's kind of saying, no, they're not coming back. But if we start to rethink about how we do church, maybe there's a bigger purpose that we can come from this reality. But we first need to admit that they're not coming back. Now, we're going to look, dive into this article a little bit, and we're Jeremy and Jordan and myself are going to kind of wrestle with what was being talked about and kind of want to address this question ourselves in light of the podcast uh, and the topics that we've been talking about over the past year and a half. So, In this episode, we're here to speak to that question and the quote solutions in relation to our podcast. So Jeremy and Jordan, I know that was quite a long intro, but why do we think churches and church members have these fears? And do we think that they're legitimate fears? 
Jeremy? Churches have always had this fear. It's like you said, this isn't new. Every, <laughs> yeah, your senior pastor said it, it's been sort of a background noise of his career, but that's that's true for us too, right? Like every every couple months, there's some big study showing that churches are in decline. Uh, there's an mm-hmm. article that mainline churches are failing. There's an article that the evangelical church is shrinking. There's an article that no one trusts religion anymore. There's there's a new article from Pew that we've officially gone under 50% of Americans attending religious services mm-hmm. for the first time since we've started recording. These aren't new problems and they aren't new concerns. And churches have always wanted more people and been worried when people stop showing up because that's the model. You open and they come. But I, I think what the pandemic has done is just taken us like 10 years further down the road than we were. Like we just sped mm. up. Um, we haven't changed our trajectory at all. And so everyone's been feeling for, I'm assuming a very long time, this anxiety that it feels like the church is shrinking, um, or it feels like young people, I don't like that, but it feels like young people aren't going to church or aren't interested in church. Maybe that's because old people don't listen to them, but (laughs) I, I think we're, we've, just jumped forward in the timeline so the acceleration ought to frighten people a little like that's a reasonable thing to react to that you've gotten 10 years Mm -hmm. older in a year but also if we believe in resurrection we shouldn't be worried about dying Hmm. Hmm. do you mean that the actual decline of attendance has fast forwarded 10 years or the fears have fast forwarded 10 years i think both but I, I think a lot of the church's problems about being behind and not an, and answering questions that no one is asking mm-hmm. um, and building models that don't connect with the lives of their communities. Yeah, that issue has taken like a 10 year step forward as people reoriented their priorities and their weekly rhythms without totally. the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did a little bit of research just Cause yeah, I mean, I, I've heard that a million times churches are declining. So I, I looked it up, like, are they actually declining mainline denominations? They say are declining year over year and have been for like 50 years. So that's not good. <laughs> go woke, um, go some, broke. I know some stats say they're down between 15% and 40% in the last decade depends on the denomination and the stats that you look at. Evangelical churches have also declined, but less so, just a few percentage points in the last several years. Mm. The Catholic Church, the membership has also declined. According to Gallup, it has declined more sharply than mainline Protestant churches, I think because it didn't start to decline as early. This is um, uh, American, right? This America, is all U.S. U.S., yep. okay. Yeah, um, it is genuinely unclear whether the Orthodox Church in America is growing or declining, which I think is hilarious. They're like, look, we just do not have the numbers or the statistics. <laughs> we don't we don't know this. So, yes, overall, it seems churches are declining in the U.S. The question is, though, like, why are we afraid of it? And I think there's some sort of noble reasons and some maybe not so noble, like mm-hmm. some related to giving and money and security and sort of this is the way it's always been. Um, Maybe cultural influence we feel is declining. We can't just assume that people that we meet are Christians anymore. Like, what does that mean? Um, And then, you know, there's people who are truly concerned that 
people aren't being saved. Right. And people aren't feeling the love of Christ and that, you know, the good things that the church is doing could be at jeopardy. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I would agree. Like, I think to some degree, there are some legitimate fears of if, especially if you're a church member and you see the deep value in your church community and what it's brought you, um, it can be a little frightening to know that that might not be offered to someone else or other people might not be able to experience it or the community that you're a part of can't figure out how to like translate that to the next generation. And that's kind of a loss in, in a, in a, a place of anxiety that you can have of like, you know, loss of meaning and purpose that your community had within its city or its town and that being changed. Uh, and then especially if you're, Christians like us that believe that the message that we have to provide can be life-giving and changing in the world. Um, it can be really sad to see that maybe that message isn't being shared as much or it's making as much of an impact as you thought that it was making in the past. So I, I, I think there are some legitimate fears. I mean, on a really honest, practical side as a full-time minister, there's a legitimate fear of like, if there's not enough people that come to the church, like, I wouldn't have a salary. Like I couldn't do this full time and I couldn't pay for my mortgage and I'd have to get another job. Um, You know, I think that's a legitimate fear because I I enjoy being able to do this full time and give all of my effort and time and thought to the church. But there is a privilege of having a church community that can afford to have me do that full time. And if less people show up to the church and less people give, um, then the less likely I'm going to have this job for the long term. Um, and so on a ministerial side, I think there is, it's, it's hard to balance that from a legitimate, like just rational fear to like having that be your sole drive of what you do to the church, like having that dictate everything that you do. Um, I think that's when that starts happening, you get into an illegitimate fear because you're not trusting in the message or in God um, to either say, hey, your church isn't going to grow anymore and you're not supposed to be full time mm. or that, hey, you know, it's not your responsibility to take care of this if you're, you know, doing what you feel like God's calling you to do in that community. But Very well said. Yeah. There was a, a article, Jeremy, that you shared with us a while back on um, people you know, young, it was research. Uh, I, I believe it's the spring tighter research. Is that spring correct? Tide. Yeah. Spring, spring tide, tide research, research group. Um, uh, that they did kind of interviewing younger adults, uh, including like Gen Z people and their religious takes. Um, kind of what's your thoughts on that, that we read Jordan and Jeremy, I'm, I'm sure maybe we can link that resource in the description section. Can we do that, Jeremy? Yeah, chance? totally so that people can read it themselves. I think Jeremy should explain this so that we can respond to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a uh, it's an interesting study that they did especially since they brought in such a um, a diverse group of young people because it's not just even though Springtide is a Christian organization, a, a Christian research group, the participants uh, come from multiple religious backgrounds, different Christian traditions and people outside of religious experience, uh, but very much an American audience. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they, they were showing that 
thing that people say all the time that they're spiritual but not religious and there's this idea that's been going around uh, you might have heard this phrase unbundling mm-hmm. and this research points towards an acceleration of the unbundling let, let's say movement it's not organized but let's say the unbundling movement um where young folks are not looking to single institutions to build their spiritual life, but they're going out and finding the pieces, the praxis, um, the beliefs that work for them and building their, their own model for how to have a spiritual life that doesn't necessarily sync up with the rhythms of traditional American church life which is exciting to me. I work with young people a lot uh, to see that the trend is young people taking control and responsibility for Mm -hmm. and of their own spiritual development and their faith lives. But it's disturbing to churches because we've been decentralized. Uh, The church isn't the place that you go to for your education, your worship, your community, your fellowship, and your rec softball league you (laughs) maybe pick up one thing from your local church the congregation that you affiliate with but you also have all these other outlets that you're gaining spiritual fulfillment from into the church that very much looks like backsliddenness falling away lack of participation because the model we're expecting is fidelity to institutional rhythm and that's just not there anymore Mm. So this strikes me as really problematic. And I don't know if maybe I'm over, um, what's the word? Overreacting? (laughs) Overreacting to this. It it seems to me that whenever you try to cherry pick parts of a religion um, or parts of different religions or spiritual practices, that you're going to be doing violence to all of those religions as a whole. Hmm. So, and push back on this if, if you want, but it seems to me that beliefs and practices have to go together, right? That otherwise what you end up having is you have a religion, which you say is a set of beliefs, and then you have an optional set of practices that go along with it. And you can say, I'm, a Christian, but I am not going to partake in these sets of rituals and practices. I'm going to go do these other ones from Buddhism or from, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know where they're cherry picking from, but different parts of culture or religions um, and kind of piecing them together. Well, then are you Christian? If you believe in the beliefs, but you're not practicing the practices, are you Christian or what are you? It, It just seems to me that you start to kind of undo some essential fab essential fabric of a religious tradition what do you think about that is that crazy well i i would add on to that of like the concern of you know you just get to pick and choose the things that you like and Mm -hmm. throw away the stuff that you don't like or and it and you know for me i mean let's be honest as christians we all kind of do that like we want to say you know, Bible authority. And I'm in a Baptist church that places a lot of weight on reading scripture and using scripture as spiritual formation. But yeah, every, every so often I like to pick and choose some stuff out of scripture. Yeah. Like I'm not, 
yeah, I'm going to pick out the slavery part and the genocide and, but my faith tradition still, especially at uh, KBC where we do the lectionary, which we have to read passages from the lectionary and Matt preaches out of some more difficult text. It says, I have to face the reality that I want to maybe throw out some stuff I don't like or decide to, or wrestle with like, should I? And my faith requires me to do that and wrestle with those realities, which is, I think, more complex of what real life is like, you know, a lot of gray in the world, not black and white. And in my tradition and in my faith, there are practices and conversations that are continuing on that guide me through those complexities. When you do more of the unbundling stuff, as soon as you hit something that's uncomfortable or maybe you disagree with, or you don't want to wrestle with, it's pretty easy. And you have the permission now to just get rid of it and skip over it and then go to another tradition. That's not even maybe religious. It's just like a, let's sit and tap into our spirit or something like that and use that. And you completely be comfortable. And I think that goes across all forms of political spectrums and theological spectrums from liberal to conservative, right? You know, the extremes often want to find themselves, you know, comfortable in, a, in an area. And, and when things begin to challenge and push, you go to the extreme so that you don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of create your foundation in that. And I think a more holistic tradition of Christianity is like wrestling with and dealing with that all the time. But you have to be rooted in a tradition, in a community that forces you to face that over and over again. And when you unbundle it, then you can kind of say, oh, that's a little too uncomfortable. I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, my congregation utilizes the lectionary as well. And I think it's important to read some of those hard texts and to say, this is the word of the Lord. Every so often, <laughs> the declaration needs a, a question mark there. And you need to sit in some of that uncomfortableness. And yeah, Jordan, there's, ex- I think there's extreme danger in picking up practices without having the philosophy and the backing behind it. Um, I think if you, if you study it, uh, like say, I wanted to incorporate meditation into my Christian practice, that I can't just say, okay, I meditate now because I watched a YouTube video or heard <laughs> yeah. some or, or watched Goop or whatever, and now <laughs> I meditate. I, I think you should study, and I think you should learn and be careful and respectful in yeah. the way that you incorporate. But yeah, Taylor, I think you need that community. I'm excited about young people exploring spirituality and faith practices, but I, I do think they need guides. I think we yeah. all do. None of us have the whole picture. We've got pieces yeah. of this puzzle. And so we need each other. Because if Taylor, if you go off and you do Taylor the Christian all by himself and you worship through skateboarding, and playing guitar <laughs> and collecting hats. That's Taylor's yeah. entire personality. I like um, it. Wrapped up in one sentence. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I, love you, I love it. I love it. No, no, I'm smiling all the way. <laughs> that, yeah, you can isolate yourself into this like perfect certainty where you're the only one who has it right. And now you're, mm-hmm. you're just a fundamentalist again. Yeah. Mm. And, and I'll also add, So this idea of what Jordan was saying about the violence of other spiritual practices, 
uh, gosh, it was like over almost two months ago, we as a staff went on this little retreat, which was, we had a great time as a staff, but it was about tra- like a transforming thing. And they were incorporating like, it was kind of like, uh, you know, Protestants are kind of rediscovering some of the old practices that, you know, Catholic and Orthodox people have been, or monks or, you know, have been doing for a long time. And then now we're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It's so new. We got to, we got to incorporate it back into our tradition or, um, and we were there and there were some things that we were pulling from like Jewish tradition. And I was a little concerned of like, are we just picking something out of a tradition that's not specifically tied to our Christian faith and then applying meaning to it without, at least while we were there, it wasn't thoughtfully explained where this tradition come from, what's the meaning and how it would relate to us as Christians from a Jewish context. And I was thinking like, this is something that's common, not just in younger uh, people, but it's also becoming a, you know, thing in older, you know, ministers and churches that are kind of experiencing this kind of uh, revival of older practices. And we do need to be careful and we're not going to be violent towards uh, older other traditions that might not be relevant to our traditional context. So I, I want us to turn back to the question, right? They uh, Are they coming back? And so if you get a chance, we'll also link the Ministry Architects uh, blog that he wrote in the descriptions so that you can check it out. Um, we got to read it before the podcast. And Jordan, can you talk just a little briefly about his kind of main points in the article uh, for our listeners? And then we're going to kind of discuss that. Yeah. So here's some things that I liked that he did well. I think he does acknowledge that some of the pivots that we've made over the pandemic to virtual church have what he kind of says, propped the proverbial back door of the church open. So people started kind of turning off their cameras after a while, gradually stopped joining, got used to life with less or no church. People are just not engaging at the level that they used to. And he says this is partly because people are weary from the pandemic and partly because they're traumatized by the pandemic and the spiritual trauma that's taken place because of it. Um, And then there's, you know, also just people have found other priorities and I think have sort of restructured the ritual of their week, not including church in some cases. And then I also like that he acknowledges that people might never have been connected in the first place. If there are members that have found it easy to live without church, it probably means that they weren't meaningfully connected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we said towards the end of season one, you know, if, if the way that we're doing church in person doesn't draw people back, something's missing and we need to reevaluate it. Um, And so what he says ultimately is that it might take a radical re-envisioning of what the church is in order to be important in people's lives. Um, his answer to the question, are they coming back is no. Yeah. And then his, his kind of idea is like, instead of them coming back, we probably should go to them. Yes. The church shouldn't be about getting people back into the church, but it should be about, you know, I guess whoever is left in the church going out to them in some way. I am so suspicious of anyone that says stuff like that. (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean? Do elaborate, please. There was please. a whole emergent movement about 
let's redefine church and let's go to where people are and all and all of those churches now look exactly like first baptist mm-hmm. I, I went to well, a conference in um <clears throat> doesn't matter where it was i went to a conference <laughs> of like progressive protestants that were talking about how they're restructuring their churches post their deconstruction journey and discovering social justice because they didn't listen to their mainline brothers and sisters. Anyway, all of these people, and they didn't like when I asked questions like this, all of them still structured their services, structured their church life around their Sunday experience, which was four songs, a sermon, one song. Like Mm -hmm. all of them were still doing that model and hadn't changed anything except like, hey, now we say social justice things and let women preach sometimes. Yeah. And so I don't, everyone's been saying go to where the people are for like a hundred years, church in the marketplace. And usually what that looks like is uh, we move our church to where the people are and then people show up to the church. Like, you know, it's still Field of Dreams. Yeah, you know, like uh, it's quite like, you know, listening to that Marcel's podcast and they have a whole episode on like mega churches. Like it's pretty strategic where people put mega churches. It's usually like where the biggest growth in the area is happening and people need community and then they find a place. And yeah, I can kind of, I that's a good thing that I hadn't thought of, of like you could kind of go in with this spirit of like, we need to go engage people and like be where they are. But there have been people that have been saying that in church history, and then it ends up forming into just what church has kind of always been like. Well, is there idea to go and find the people, but then bring them into a traditional church? Or, I mean, the emergent church movement was trying to actually reform church, right? And Jeremy, what you're saying is their church looks just like mine. It just yeah. took them like a few more years to solidify it. Yeah. So Rob has this, has has that article we've just found out that he had a second article like literally today before our recording that he wrote in response to that where he said you know thinking more about that and the responses that he got from the article he wanted to emphasize this idea of like what the church should do which is being a spiritual trauma center where the church helps people process through what went through the pandemic and other things other losses that are going on in their life They should also learn to listen to people's particular pains, benefit, um, share the benefits of what it means to follow Jesus, um, invite the people into generosity of steadfast love, and be a place where people need people, like connect people with other people. And through that, you create a spiritual trauma center for people to heal through what has happened through the pandemic. But we should not be worried about getting them back into the church, but instead kind of still going out and being a church. Now, I will say that there are some things from the article I've really liked. Um, I think the idea of like, you know, listening to other people's pains and helping people process what have happened in the past two years is really critical. Um, But there's a part of me that still feels like that's a little too narrow of like the full understanding of what the church should be. But I think this gets down to what Jordan and I, we were talking uh, a while ago about, which is we have been dancing around this bigger question. Um, And I feel like this is the perfect time to bring it in about really, we need to ask 
what is the purpose of the church, right? Like, what is the purpose of the church? Is it is the purpose of the church to be a spiritual trauma center? Is that the whole purpose of the church? Is the purpose of the church to be something else? Jordan, I think you had a, a, a few different lists to talk about. Well, okay. So in thinking about what might be some examples, um, because we it's easy to say, oh, well, just answer the question, what is church for? Or what is your ecclesiology? Uh, and then let that guide your answer. Well, I'm sure people are going to be like, what does that mean? That's very vague. So I'm trying to think of some examples of ecclesiologies that might guide what you think the church is, and in which case you would have an answer to what the church is for and what it should do in response to these issues. Um, and, you know, there's some there's some people who say, you know, the congregation is the audience for a performance, for lack of a better word, that's happening on stage. So they're learning from the preaching. They are worshiping along with the worship leaders. And so the point of church, why we gather, is for the edification of the congregation, which is Christians who are gathered at this church. And so if that's your ecclesiology, that's what you're doing when you're gathering is edifying the people of God, then why is it you have to articulate why is it important for the audience to be there? What are they supposed to learn? Why is the worship experience important? And why does that need to be in person? Otherwise, it's very easy for someone to say, well, if I'm just the congregation or the audience or the consumer even of this, mm -hmm. then why can't I watch this performance from home? Or why do I, if I don't feel like it's edifying me, then I don't need to go. It's not for me, right? Or I can find another place that is edifying to me. Yes. Yeah. Then I shop around and I church hop and I go to all the places that have the practices that fit best with my unbundled spirituality. Whoa. Right? Which I may be fine. If that is your ecclesiology, maybe that makes sense. If you think, well, actually, that's not true. What's happening in church is that God is the audience and we're the performers. The congregation is singing and is thinking and praying all for the benefit of God. We're worshiping God. Okay, so why is it important that your congregation be there? And there might be some different answers for that. Maybe mm -hmm. people are encouraged to show up even if they don't feel edified because God is the audience for their worship. Yeah. And there's something metaphysically important about that. Um, maybe the community gathering is a literal or a metaphorical sign of the kingdom of God. And maybe this is the place and the time where the future coming kingdom is sort of foretold or signed, right? And so maybe it's important that the congregation be there because if that's not foretold and signed, then we forget the story of the coming kingdom or something like that. Okay. Um, another example might be that the worship service is a sacramental space and maybe the congregation needs to be there so that they can receive the literal or depending on your belief, the metaphorical presence of God in communion mm. or in things like weddings and funerals and these rituals that we do um, where we believe that God, comes to meet us. And so, and then you really need to articulate for your people. How is it that that happens? What does that feel like? What about when I don't feel it? 
what does it mean metaphysically, like between me and God as a spirit? What does it mean that I'm there regardless of my feelings or thoughts? And then what about people who can't participate in sacramentality for some reason? You know, I'm just remembering a, um, our conversation with Chris and yeah. Hans and, you know, if I can't take communion, what does that mean if the church is only a sacramental space? So those are just some examples of things that came to mind that depending on what you believe church is and what's happening when you gather, you're going to have different reasons for telling people it's important to be there or not to be there. You have to know who you are before you can know what you're supposed to do. I like to think about church a lot of times as, um, how did you name the last model before sacramental? The literal and metaphorical kingdom of God. Yeah, that we yeah. we sign it and we enact it and we practice it. I like yeah. to think about we we gather to practice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's sort of like a a gymnasium model of church <laughs> that there's a community where we have decided we have covenanted in membership or whatever language you want to use that we are choosing to gather regardless or and sometimes gathering isn't possible at a specific time we know yeah. but we've mm -hmm. chosen to be together to share our lives to share our families to share our resources to prove that this thing works and so that like on the days when i'm not feeling it or the days that I don't understand it, or the days I don't believe it, I can show up and find community that will do it with me and for me. Yeah, I don't have yeah. to believe every day because I have a community that holds on to me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I really like that. I want to blend. I want to blend the literal and metaphorical kingdom of God idea with the sacramental space, and maybe mm -hmm. that's because I'm married to you, Jordan. Hey, there you go. <laughs> but I want to take your analogy um, uh, with the gymnasium and let's say a basketball court, right? Ooh. The basketball court is a place in which um, you practice on, but maybe it's also the court in which you actually play the game on too. So in a way, it's the literal and metaphorical place that you come together with your kingdom. Uh, I mean, with your church to practice what the kingdom should look like, to learn what it should look like and why that's important mm. and why we should be living that out. And we're also not just so that we can go out and share that kingdom of God there, but also practice it. Like you were saying, Jeremy, in the church itself with other people, Yeah. but also have the space of in community to be a sacramental space to do some of the most ancient practices that we do as Christians, take communion, baptize, marry, and bury people, right? Yeah. In this space that this isn't just living at the kingdom of God, but this is a space where God becomes present with us in the midst of these important times in our lives and moments. Yeah, and community so I want as sacrament. Yeah. And it, mm -hmm. so if you keep that analogy of like the basketball, it's the it's the place where you practice. It's the place where you encourage your teammates. It's the place where you actually play the basketball game. And it's the place where you celebrate your wins and your losses. I'm kind of stretching the metaphor at that last part, but I, I think that has something really cool. And so for me as a minister, thinking about the youth group and about our church, that's kind of the blending that I would want to create for our church community, a literal and metaphorical kingdom of God space, and also a sacramental space together in a way that's transformative. Um, 
that transforms people into uh, um, more caring, loving, thoughtful, empathetic people that care for the world just the way that God cares for us. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that we practice, I mean, that's why I love the word liturgy because it means the work of the people. It's like when you're practicing basketball, this is like work, right? Yeah. Then you play the game and it's also work, but it's also play like it's forming you and it works on you, but you participate in it. And, um, one thing that I think of often is there's this author scholar named James K. A. Smith, and he writes about, um, people as homo liturgicus, like we're liturgical animals that participate in liturgies, whether we know it or not. And so if we are not participating in the Christian liturgy and attending worship, then we're still doing liturgies. It's just things like going to the shopping mall, like Mm. the opening of his book talks or one of his books talks about um, the shopping mall as a liturgical space and people like showing up to worship and parking in these. That's a perfect metaphor because the mall is going away just like the church. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but consumerism, we've been learning for a long time. Consumerism. Yes. Act of attending, you know, shopping mall. So it will just morph into other forms, but. And, and if we, I I just, I want to add one more thing to our basketball analogy. So, uh, if Matt Vandergriff is listening, the senior pastor here, he loves basketball. So I'm sure he'll (laughs) enjoy these analogies. Uh, but they're different team, all, all basketball teams practice, but the, the teams that flourish versus the teams that don't might have different ways of practicing Oh snap! and different intentionalities of practicing and, and bring some seriousness and belief that their practice is transformative for them when they go play the game. Right. And so the worst basketball team to the best basketball team, guess what? All of them practice, but I guarantee you their practices look substantially different. And I, I want to think of that towards the way that we do church. Maybe we have just done a poor job, especially when I say we, I mean, ministers too, of creating a space uh, of practice. And maybe we've just had really bad practices for a lot of years. And people are kind of like, I don't really want to show up to these practices because they're not engaging. They're not changing me. I'm not getting more fit. I'm not like learning new skills. I'm not um, growing closer to my teammates or whatever the case is. And we think that, well, maybe we just change the venue of the practice. Or maybe if we just, uh, you know, make, practice a little bit easier for people to get to, uh, then, then (laughs) they'll stay more engaged and we never change how we actually practice. Mm. Um, that was also on another side, we can decide to keep this, my Allen Iverson tribute of saying practice over and over again, but basketball players will understand that. (laughs) And Jordan's rolling her eyes at witnesses. Practice. We're talking about practice. (laughs) Okay. So this brings me back to the initial question are they coming back? And so Jeremy and Jordan, I want you guys to answer it. I'm going to give my answer first. Jordan's going to give her answer. And then Jeremy's going to weigh in and possibly be the tiebreaker. So my answer to this is yes, if dot, dot, dot. Ooh. I think young people, uh, if you think of people in their 20s and even younger can come back and would be willing to come back and actually i believe want to come 
back. I mean, we're seeing that people younger are looking for spiritual experiences. I think, you know, there's many times where at church, um, young people have walked into the door of our church and have sat in a worship service. I even had my neighbor who's around our age. Uh, one Saturday night was like, Hey man, where do you work again? And I was like, Oh, at Kirkwood Baptist. It was like, worship starts at 1030. He's like, yeah, we'll be there. And he showed up him and his girlfriend and they were here. They wanted to be a part of something. Now, I don't know if it wasn't their cup of tea for, you know, we're very traditional. I'm wearing a robe on a Sunday morning or if it was something else, but I constantly see young people that we feel like have left the church rotate through. Um, so I'm, and I see in the youth group, there's an engagement and need for a connection to God. But I put if dot, 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 we rethink how we do our practices and how we do our education and how we do our engagement and how we do our teaching. I think we've lost a lot of explanation of why, especially at a Baptist church, we are Baptist and what that means and why what we do has importance and how our faith is tied to scripture and to relationships and to experiences and all of those things. So I think there's, I think some of this is, there's a little bit of, of weeding, like we're realizing like some people that are really committed versus over the past 40 years, there's some people that just love the popularity of it. You know, if you think back to the eighties, it was quite popular to be a Christian and go to church. And that was the fun thing to do. But I still see and believe that there is a strong pull in people's lives and in their spiritual lives to be a part of a faith community. I just think we have an opportunity as a church to think about those people and change the way that we engage, not engage, but change the way that we um, provide substance, like thoughtful, caring, really meaningful, rich um, experiences and education and care for those people. And I think uh, we need to be creative in those areas, not necessarily in areas like how we can reach them at their couch or how we can, you know, upgrade all these technologies or how we can, you know, boost our social media platform. Um, but instead think about the intentional richness of our community and meeting times. Because I think I know being a young person, uh, it, well, I'm not, I'm not as young as I was. I just turned 30. So I'm a little older. Middle-aged. I know, middle-aged now. But it can be very lonely. And to find a community that's rooted in faith in some way can be really special. But it's difficult to find something that's rich and that can grow with you as you grow in your faith too. So that's what I would say. I think they will, they can come back if dot, dot, dot. Jordan. Beautiful. I love your answer. I don't agree with it. I think that they're not coming back. I I don't know. I, I For some reason, I've turned into the pessimistic one on this podcast, but I just don't feel like that would ever happen. So maybe I don't disagree with you, but I just think it wouldn't happen. Um, I think looking around at my friends and the people that I see around me, even the very faithful Christians who are not going to church anymore. I mean, I know very few people our age that are going to church. And 
the reasons are not because they've given up their faith or they, you know, think it's boring or anything like that. The reasons are, it's just not giving me what it's always said it's supposed to be giving me, which is some sort of edification or growth or experience. And I don't think we can change people's mind about what church is for. Like, I think that's a fundamental conviction that, um, we don't have enough access to people to change their mind about. So I don't think they're coming back. That's great. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, you're up. Okay. Tiebreaker. They're not coming back to this. Ooh. Oh, okay. The, the paradigm that we've gone to uh, here in my context is we're thinking a lot like we're something new. We're not asking too many questions about people that were here. And if they're coming back, we obviously love the people that we have served and would love for them to be a part of this community. But we're acting like this is something new and trying to find what God is calling us into and who God wants us to be in this new stage of the life of the church. Um, I think it's Phyllis Tickle uh, who said that every 500 years, the church has a yard sale. Mm. We're yep. well overdue for a reformation. And we want to be open enough to what God is going to do next to not miss the movement of the spirit. And so we're trying to think about, and it's hard. We are in the same building. Uh, we have a lot of the same people. We have a lot of the same staff as pre-pandemic and pre-our uh, struggles here. Um, so it's not about trying to go and find people that left, but trying to think about moving towards a future where we can be the church that our community always needed, not the church that will attract back the past because you can't have the past. That's how time works. You can only go forward. I've been thinking a lot about um, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and mm -hmm. uh, Zerubbabel uh, in particular, that when he comes back from exile to the ruins of Jerusalem and he builds that new temple or he sets the foundations and the, the young folks cheer with joy and the old people weep because there's such a discrepancy between expectation and reality. Um, that story's really been gripping me because everyone uses the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as like, we're going to you use that when you're doing like a building project or yeah. a fundraising campaign about new things. But they're really books about failure. Zerubbabel mm -hmm. is like living in a time when prophecy is unfolding all around him, all of the promises of Jeremiah and Isaiah about the end of exile and the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, they're coming true and he's a part of it. And you sit here and you watch it like, oh my gosh, maybe this is when God's going to set the world right. Here's the new temple. The people are coming back to Jerusalem. God will draw the nations uh, to Jerusalem and bring about peace and, and, you look at Zerubbabel's story and when the neighbors come and say, we want to help you with the temple, he says, you have no part in our temple and sends them away. The miracle mm -hmm. starts and he cuts it off. 
Hmm. And that's sort of how his story ends. He builds the temple and it's okay, but they were tr- they decided to look to try to rebuild the old instead of welcoming this odd diversity of the new. And maybe this is a story about a failed revival. Hmm. And I'm trying to not get in the way of what God is doing next by being obsessed with trying to reclaim the glory of the old. Yes, I think that's that's beautiful, Jeremy. And when you were talking, I was just thinking, I think what often happens, what I've seen happen in churches is we we ask this question and we get anxious by it. And then we just want to, we think, oh, we got to re-scrap everything. And you can't, I, I can't get away from this basketball analogy because <laughs> um, I'm, I guess it's because I'm a pastor. You can't get rid of the fundamentals that make it critical to like being a church. You got to dribble and, and pass. You got to dribble, you got to pass, you know, um, and you got to know how to shoot. And I think as a church, often I'll, I'll see people get anxious about this question. Are, are they coming back? And if we say no or yes, or we're not sure, or probably not, then we go, okay, we got we to gotta re- rework everything. And I like what you said of like not getting in the way of what God is going to do. I think there's always fundamentals that we as Christians and as ministers can hold on to by showing people love, empathy, care, showing them who God is and why Jesus matters, and by um, creating a community that cares for one another in a God-like way. And holding true to that is being enough, like being enough, and that God can work out of that. And maybe being thoughtful in how to create that experience for people or that community, but not getting rid of that. I, one thing that I've been saying here at our church is like, I think like we just need, I think we got a really good thing going. I think we've got our fundamentals down. Like we're, we figured them out. We just have to trust that those fundamentals are enough and then God will work through that. And I think when this question gets asked, um, we get anxious and we stop passing and dribbling and we just want to shoot three pointers all the time, you know? (laughs) So where would you locate, uh, Rob Dyer's, um, suggestion within that? Because you sound a lot like him in your suggestions. Yeah, I know. I know I do. But you think that the difference might be, he's not concerned about preserving the institutional church really. It sounds like you are, you want to preserve the institutional church and say, we need to come into the building. There's some value here. Uh, Well, when I say building, I mean, we come into the community. Okay. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not a big build, like, you know, the church like needs a, at some time, at some point, a church needs a roof for people to gather so that they don't get rained on. You know, (laughs) I mean, you can gather when it's raining. Um, but really I believe people need a place of community to, to be in. And I think that has the spirit of this whole podcast, which is that means being physically present, if at all possible for things, you know, in safety. Um, that's critical to bringing people into that community so that those fundamentals can be taught, learned, shared, and then, uh, and that ends up changing us for better. 
to care for the world and make the world a better place and to share God's love. But I think it's critical for a community of people to come together and have that space where they can share those those values. And I think what I've seen is most people have that yearning, that feeling to be a part of that. And they might find that liturgy that you talked about, Jordan, in other places, but that desire inside of us to be a part of something that matters in a place where we belong. Um, you know, even Facebook now dumbly named Meta is still trying to create a virtual place of that where you still feel like you belong in a place, right? So that urge of what it means to be human, I don't think has changed. And I believe the church has something really authentic that our spiritual self is looking for. And I don't, I think it's critical that we keep that and we cultivate that space for people. And then out of that, yeah, you still engage other communities, what I think Rob is saying in his article, but I don't think you get rid of it. I think the church has to be a community and we need that community to still exist. Yeah. And that's the minister in me, you know. Any last thoughts? Anyone? Jeremy? I think the church will be okay. Yeah. But it's not going to be the same. And we have to be okay with that. And we have to be okay with the times when we're not okay with that. Because change always hurts. Especially in a system that has a lot of inertia. If there's, this is family <laughs> systems, right? If, yeah. we're, if we are in homeostasis, if our system is set up and seems to function, even when it's not, but it looks or feels like it's functioning, any sort of shift, it's going to feel like conflict. It's going to be anxiety inducing. But values and identity are still... See, you like basketball. I like football. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite quotes from the great uh, Bear Bryant of Alabama is the same things work that always worked. <laughs> oh, if this was a video podcast, everyone would love Jordan's face right now. She's just rolling <laughs> her eyes. <laughs> Roll Tide. Yeah, if, if we locate ourselves as communities seeking to live into the kingdom of God as we follow Jesus, we're gonna go somewhere. But yeah. we have to be willing to be okay with it not being the same. It's time for the church to have a yard sale. Yeah. Well, some things can be the same. I mean, I'm not going to get rid of the liturgy. Yes. Right? Like there, there's <laughs> yeah. some things that are the same, you know, but I would but be everything sad. Everything won't be. We, we need to yeah, not yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater, but the totally. bathwater is stale. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. There are some things that we, that we need to say this is worth preserving and keeping, and some things we need to say we can sell that. Yeah. And we need yeah. to teach our people how to do that. Hmm. That can't be just the job of the clergy or the professionals or the ministers or the academics. That's got to be work that the the church does. It that type of mindset, this this type of mindset is a cultural shift in in the idea of like church, I think, especially when we're talking Protestant churches, right? It's a cultural shift in purpose and meaning and place in the world for what the church is. And I think cultural shifts can happen. Uh, people, ministers and church members can create culture. Uh, it's It's been done before and it can be done again by using language and symbols and traditions and 
you know, teachings and um, rituals. I think I already said rituals um, in their church community. So if you're a minister or a lay person trying to go listening to all this, you've gone through two seasons, you're like, I'm still don't know what to do. It has to be a cultural shift of understanding um, identity and language that people can share across your community to say, oh, we meet together for um, to bring about the kingdom of God in our place. And so, and then also to participate in the sacraments for us to be transformed, um, to be a better and loving people. And that language can be shared and understood, but it has to be repetitive. It has to be taught. It has to be communicated clearly to your congregation and to your groups. And by doing that over time, people can accept that and see the beauty in that and then end up um, communicating that to other people. And then that ends up shaping and creating culture um, for the better. And uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. And that's kind of the hope that I hope we can leave people on uh, when it comes to this topic. Always ending with hope. We can always count on you, Taylor. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, so uh, let's end with hope in the world. We've yeah, been doing yeah. that for a podcast. So uh, if if this is your first episode ever that you've listened to us, uh, <laughs> at the end of each episode, we end with where we have seen hope in the world. Um, so that's what we're going to do again. So a place that I've seen hope in the world is in... Uh, simple relationships. So I got to hang out with a good friend, um, two nights ago. Uh, he just called me up cause his wife was having a bunch of friends over to watch cheesy Netflix movies. And he was like, can I, can, will you hang out with me? I said, sure. Yeah, I will. But, um, I hadn't talked to John in a while and just a genuine fun connection and really relationship with someone after all the pandemic and craziness going on and just, realizing what it the joy it is to be with someone for a few hours and talk about life uh, brings me hope that um, there's still great connections out there in the world. How about you, Jeremy? Hey, I've been excited um, by something really similar. Uh, we have a, uh, an a, a older woman in our community who recently broke her foot and is, it's left her stuck in her home. And I've been getting all sorts of updates from her about all the young people that are even just loosely in the orbit of our congregation that have been showing up for her in really meaningful ways. And I'm like, whoa, it works. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> so great. I can imagine that's what parents feel like when their kids like are nice to each other. Like, oh, finally, all the work I've been putting up. <laughs> um, I am finding hope in all the Advent stuff, like the beautiful church music. I'm just, for some reason this year, it's really hitting me as so beautiful. The decorations and the lights in our neighborhood, like it's just so great that people like spend extra money to light up the outside of their house at Christmas. I just think that's so cool. It's like so gratuitous. Um, and then also I've just been very inspired by watching uh, clergy give so much of their time and love and energy in this season. I know it's hard and I can see all the time and all the effort that goes into it, especially in a pandemic. So I'm just finding a lot of hope in that. Well, 
Jeremy and Jordan. Uh, first, I want to say a big shout out to Jeremy. Um, if you've been listening, Jeremy has pretty much edited every single episode of our podcast uh, for free. And he also um, loads uh, uploads them to Spotify and Stitcher and um, you know Apple Podcasts and all this stuff. He's done an amazing job. And he also has two other podcasts that he's also doing. And he works a full-time job. So um, Jeremy, I... You know, Jordan and I, we can't say thank you enough for all that you've put into this podcast for us. Um, you've definitely made like this would not be possible without you. And we want to say thank you so much for the time that you've put in. Thank you. I, I love you guys. It's been fun to have these conversations and go on this journey with y'all. Yeah. And if you're listening, this is a little bittersweet for us. Uh, this is going to be the end for season two, and it may uh, be our last episode. Um, we've had so much fun putting this podcast together and we hope it's been extremely helpful for you and your church community. Please continue to feel free to share this with other people. Um, we've been so grateful for all of you that have listened. Um, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, Jeremy, but I know, uh, we've had, you know, over 900 some downloads for the whole podcast, which for me has been more than I ever thought we would have listened to the podcast. Um, uh, so thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you'll continue on this conversation in your own lives, in your own church context, um, and encourage other people to, to continue to dialogue because we think this really matters. Um, we are going to keep our email address virtuallychurch at gmail.com active. So if you go back and listen to this, or if you've been listening to this podcast and you found it, you know, seven or eight months after we finished this episode, uh, we still want to hear from you. You can still send us questions, um, thoughts or concerns, or an encouraging update of what's going on in your life at virtuallychurch at gmail.com. So we would say, want to say thank you so much. Still, if you want to leave us, if you've gone all the way through the uh, two seasons and you haven't rated us on iTunes or left us a comment, we would still love to know what this podcast has meant for you, or maybe just send it to us through our Gmail account. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. We've been so grateful and we've hoped that this has been just as meaningful to you as it has been for us. Do it. 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 Do it.